On the Record with Gavin Riley. Sunday morning at 11. Brought to you by PwC, a dedicated private business team built around you. It all adds up to the new equation on News Talk. Big variety on the front pages of this morning's Sunday newspapers. Uh, so let's get straight into it. The front page of the Sunday Times. Criminals milk direct provision system for cash is the headline there on a piece by John Mooney. He says that Gardaí believe organised crime gangs are exploiting the immigration crisis to generate income and launder money in what is now considered to be a highly lucrative form of illegal activity. Gardaí have received intelligence, he says, that one group has been secretly involved, uh, secretly become involved in operating a direct provision centre somewhere in Leinster. It is suspected of utilising changes to the planning laws that allow applicants to bypass regulations to convert buildings into accommodation centres to house people seeking IP. The gang has allegedly used unwitting uh, proxies to refit a property to to house asylum seekers according to a source in Garda headquarters remarkable stuff um, experts say Ireland have now become a primary route for illegal migration into Britain uh, Anna Sergey, who's a University of Essex expert on transnational crime says government support to help migrants presented multiple opportunities for organised crime also on the front page of the Sunday Times very briefly a new Chinese owned shopping app downloaded more than 30,000 times in Ireland last month has sparked concerns after its sister platform was removed from Google's app store where malware was detected this concerns a fast fashion shopping app called Temu or Timu uh, which is available uh, in your app stores now uh, the front page of the Sunday Independent and this is something that we'll be talking more about in a couple of minutes time Finnegale's 1,000 euro tax cut kite fails to fly for Varadkar is the headline there. Finnegale's call for a 1,000 euro tax cut in the budget has fallen flat with the majority of voters saying it would make no difference to whether they would vote for Leo Varadkar's party in the next election. Uh, the latest Ireland Thinks poll for the Sunday Independent finds that last month's call by three junior ministers did little to enhance Finnegale's popularity among voters. 56% of voters uh, polled said that it would make no difference to their voting intentions. That call, described by rivals as a political kite, sparked a bit of row with Fianna Fáil as no doubt you are aware uh, the front page of the Mail on Sunday state ignoring farm VAT scam worth millions uh, the government has allowed a massive farming scam that has cost taxpayers tens of millions of euro to continue despite repeated warnings from revenue the tax abuse which enables some chicken farmers to recoup as much as 1000% more VAT than they're entitled to 10 times more VAT than they're entitled to, was first identified by the authorities in 2013, but when a whistleblower, uh, by a whistleblower rather. Uh, but despite this, a government has never shut down the scam, even though it passed the law more than six years ago to allow the Minister for Finance to do so with a single stroke of a pen. Now this failure to act could result in Ireland being investigated and fined by the European Commission if it is found that the government allowed breaches of EA, uh, EU VAT rules uh, to continue. Uh, remarkable thing on the front of the mail on Sunday. Uh, more tax content and more poll content on the front of the Business Post, uh, which tells us that a large majority of voters, seven out of every ten, are demanding the abolition of the €5 billion Euro USC before the next general election. With mounting anticipation of a general election in the second half of next year, the public is sending Michael McGrath a clear signal that they want to see the much-hated tax abolished in October's budget. The poll also reveals that the main parties who all back retaining the USC are at odds with their own supporters, who are clearly saying that they want the tax gotten rid of. Um, also on the front of the Business Post, Europe's biggest airline, Ryanair, has called for a competing independent third terminal at Dublin Airport amid fresh criticism of the DAA. 
something that we may put uh, to the DAA's Graham McQueen who is with us a little later in the programme uh, finally for now uh, the front pages of the Red Tops lots of pictures of Ilkay Gundogan uh, raising the FA Cup which we won't talk about for uh, reasons that will be obvious if you uh, know me at all um, front page of the Sunday Mirror Holly and Phil sensation scores are being settled uh, this morning editor Martin Frizzle says scores are being settled when asked about claims of a toxic work environment yesterday um, in the wake of Philip Schofield's resignation over an affair with a younger male colleague he said people should read between the lines uh, front page of the mail on, of the sun on Sunday rather excuse me uh, wife killer Joe O'Reilly is seeking to make his fourth bid for freedom uh, jailed for life for the 2004 murder, murder of Rachel Callaty uh, his devastated family will oppose his latest push for parole his mum uh, Rachel's mother uh, Rose tells the paper life should mean life uh, and finally for now the Sunday world uh, cartels green mile prison wardens discover Kinahan mobsters growing cannabis plants inside Port Leash Prison I will forever be fascinated by the logistics of how you managed to pull that off genuinely impressed as to how anyone who is supposed to be you know in the custody of the state is actually able to do that uh, but I digress for now uh, 8 minutes past 11 uh, joined in studio to discuss today's papers by John Lee who's executive editor of the Daily Mail Group and by Don Leanne who is the CEO of Leanne Empower and she's also a former director of people and resources with Chartered Accountants Ireland uh, you're both very welcome thank you very much for joining me in the studio morning um, Gav I said that we would talk about the front pages of the Sunday Independent, but I want to take the Sindo and the Business Post kind of hand in hand because John, I'm 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 a little bit betwixt and between about these two polls because one poll tells us that Finnegan, having called for a, a one grand per head tax cut for average workers, are getting nowhere, and another poll tells us that people are demanding the abolition of the USC, and I can't square the two of them. Um, that's what I was, t- I was I was thinking that as you read them out, and. Which I should be, I suppose. Um, and what it's good that you're thinking very deeply about what you're going to say on radio. How I would define it then is that tax cuts, the public are saying, oh yeah, please give them over here, but Fine Gael, no thanks. I think in many ways, the public mind has been made up on Fine Gael and we, we mustn't re- must not forget three years ago, they had a bad general election. And often when it comes to politics, there are old rules that can't be... Um, can't be cast aside Fine Gael are there 12 years I during the the more this controversy of a, of a, of a supposed row between Fine Gael and Fine Gael I yeah. spoke at length to a Fine Gael minister and he made some very very good points including he thought that it was ironic that Fine Gael would be urging um, a new ideological or, or pushing ideological tax measures through a Fine Gael finance minister now, if politicians are making those assumptions, the public are too, and they might be asking, well, listen, you've had 12 years to make these fundamental yeah. tax changes and now you're yeah, urging... Well finance ministers for, for the first 11 of those 12 years. Yeah. And now Michael McGrath is somehow failing us by not doing it. So I, 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 when it comes to Fine Gael, and I think there is still a fight there for them, but they need to figure out what that fight is. Yeah. To have this government re-elected, that's their only choice to, re, to, to re-emerge back into government they have to deal with the retirements from the from the parliamentary party. Uh, I don't care what all the reasons are for people retiring. They are not retiring from politics if they see a rosy future ahead. They have up to 15 t- sitting TDs by the end of this may not stand in the next general election. Mm. Some cabinet ministers have been speculated within, within the party themselves. And they need, I think... <sighs> To look at their front bench team too, you know, a lot of them are around a long time. It seems to be a forgotten art in Irish politics to say, okay, well, listen, we're two and a half, we're 18 months. I fundamentally, 
I'm doubtful whether that's going to happen in our, uh, October 24. I think the last one was on your show. I said it would. Mm. I, 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 in the, I, the election, like, you don't think it will? Like John Maynard Keynes, I can I can change my mind with facts change. I think I, I think if it's looking so bad for a Fine Gael Taoiseach right now, I, 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 all the reasons you would go in 24 are now... Yeah, when, 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 you want to, when you want to see it out, you want to hang in there for Stay as long as, as, long as possible as you can. and just hope that the wind changes somehow. In politics, tomorrow's always a better day. So if they if they have that long, if they've two years, maybe a two week fight over a thousand euro tax measure, which ultimately doesn't give you any improvement in the in, in the polls, is not yeah. the way to go. Uh, voter support uh, by party for the abolition of the USC. There's an interesting breakdown on page fifteen of the Business Post. If anyone's got it uh, to hand this morning, seventy four percent of Fianna Fáil voters would agree with the idea of getting rid of the USC uh, in the next. Uh, in the lifetime of the current government, 65% of Fine Gael voters who, by the way, um, elected their party in 2016 on the back of um, abolishing the USC as a specific manifesto pledge. Um, 76% of Sinn Féin voters uh, would like to get rid of an 82% of those who side for the independent uh, TDs. Um, Donnie, good morning to you. Um, it's Maybe there's one thing in this, which is that maybe it's a... I don't know whether you want to call it a leading question because the question that was asked to people was I would like to see the abolition of the USC. And I mean, ask most people going, would you like to see the abolition of a tax? Most people surely are just going to go, yes, I would, thanks, aren't they? Absolutely. Look, I think, you know, the USC was brought in in 2010 and, you know, we were heading into recession or we were in recession. And we were told that the USC was being brought in to help support social care, um, you know, education, hospitals, all of those things and help the funding of them. Serious here to help, I'd like everyone to know that. Sorry, <laughs> sorry about that. Yeah. To help with the funding of them. Um, that, that It just went into a big pot. We didn't really see it spending on any of those mm. those areas. So, you know, I think from that point of view, it, the USC is it's one of the most hated taxes because we're not really seeing any benefit for it. I think also if you calculate it, you know, d- you know, doing away with the USC is going to benefit people more than a thousand euro tax break in, in any year. Yeah. Um, and for most people, that USC was their discretionary spend. It certainly was for me in that year. That mm. was the discretionary spend that families had left over. So, um, you know, I think there's, there's definitely there's a, there's a mounting pressure, I think, on, on whatever government comes in now to, yeah. to abolish it. Um, John, do, do, you, do you would you agree that, that there is this kind of now, does, does a poll like this create the expectation that then this is now supposed to be up for grabs, that this is now an invitation to some party to take the bull by the horns and to promise getting rid of it, irrespective of whether they think it's actually affordable or not? Um, sw- swinging tax cuts uh, are unlikely. Uh, Are there any other kind of tax cuts? They're always swinging, aren't they? Well, it's the only uh, only adjective you're allowed. Rishi Sunak has opened a big big battle I see in Britain this morning in the front page of the Telegraph, that old Tory uh, supporting paper, where he wants to get 2p cut in in tax. Doesn't seem like, that doesn't seem swinging to me, but... They're, they're unlikely. But if, but, if, but if it's a 2% cut in some rate or other, so if it's whatever's the highest rate is, if you're cutting that by two points, it's going to be a pretty big pretty big uh, benefit for a lot of households, wouldn't it? Yeah, they'll have two, they'll, they'll have two budgets with um, with tax cuts, childcare, everything else. Um, but they're in a similar election timeline to ourselves. They have to have one by the end of next year as well, don't they? I think where the row, where the row ultimately came about in Fine Gael and Fine Fáil was that Fine Gael had particular trigger words in their... Um, I I a splash as as I said the previous week where I'd spoken to senior people in Fine Fáil and Fine Gael about their their dream budget, yeah. and there was a few trigger words in there when I went back to the Fine Fáil ministers that that upset them, and it was about the press middle, the squeeze middle, and tax cuts for them, and that ultimately is not going to do Fine Fáil any favours. Yeah. Fine Fáil have a, a, an open ended election aim. 
which is okay we'll go with the current coalition or we'll go with Sinn Féin mm. A- aiming your tax cuts at a certain sector of society is not what uh, Fianna Fáil want to do but it is what Fianna Gael want to do what the Greens want to do with taxes yeah. we're, we're not quite sure when you have to decide first of all who the squeeze middle is it's exactly. a very, very nefarious nebulous but on, category on, on one of the polls I, I, I was just thinking beforehand when I spoke to your, your producer Alex there, there's a fascinating aspect of it which will which will row into this tax issue but will row into general on for the first time in the Sunday Independent they've put a question to the to to people about who they would be most likely to send their transfer to. Yes, and yeah, this is fascinating. The least likely party, incredibly, uh, considering what has gone on in Irish politics in the last 15 years, that people will, will transfer to are the Greens at 48%. Um, but interestingly, Fine Gael are at 39%. So 39% th- of people would not give would Fine not Gael give, any give transfer it, so at all. The, is that just the, the natural consequence of being in power for 12 years and people just not liking the look of you anymore? Well, if you look at the parties that are that, that are least likely, I suppose it would be an obvious thing to say that they're least likely to receive a to receive a transfer are Green Party, uh, Sinn Fein, Ain Two, and Fine Gael. Now, in different se- sectors of Irish society, they would be seen as rather uh, virulent supporters of particular political ideologies. Those yeah. four parties, whereas lower down, you Fianna Fáil at thirty six percent and Labour twenty three percent, where they're probably a bit more malleable, b- yeah. malleable, whatever you what, whatever you want. And there you go, Fine Gael are aiming at a particular uh, sector of society, the squeeze middle. And as you say, it's hard to define. Leo Varadkar has defined them in, in the past as people who get up early in the morning. Mm. That would, to me, include milkmen. But there you go. <laughs> Um, you know, working working class men get up early in the morning as well. It's a difficult way to, but we know where they're going, and we can see now that they are they are yeah. pretty transfer toxic I, themselves, I, which I, is a crucial thing in Irish politics. Yeah, I, I do. I just do, do think, by the way, actually, when you put the, the two findings of that Sunday Independent Ireland things poll together, so the support for the parties and then how transfer toxic or, or repellent they might be. If the Green Party are only getting 3% of first preferences and they're also the least likely to get transfers from anyone else, that's wipeout for a lot of yeah. them. Versus the Social Democrats, if they were to poll at 6%, as this poll says, and they are almost the most transfer friendly because only 18% of people would say no to a transfer. If you have 6% and you're getting transfers, that brings in a lot of purple-hued yeah. TDs across the country. Um, a lot of texts and tweets coming in. Well, first of all, from Mike in Tralee, who says, come on, City, uh, who really just can't <laughs> let, who just really can't let a sleeping dog lie. I have you, to tell you, I'm, my, my, uh, my late father-in-law passed away in January 2022 and he was a City fan all his life. So I have to say, I have no interest in soccer, but I was delighted for him that they won. Okay. Well, at least somebody at least in the room was happy. happy. Yeah, Because <laughs> John's a Liverpool fan yeah. and it be, might be a while before Liverpool are knocking on the door of any uh, cup finals again for a little while. Uh, lots of texts and tweets, though, coming in about uh, USC. Uh, Michael Inkel there, for example, um, who I think makes maybe the, the best case for USC. He says it's the best tax because it's a percentage of every income, hits absolutely everyone. There's no clever accounting escape. It must be kept. I remember um, somebody telling me before, somebody involved in the civil service, that they, they really liked the USC because over time there had been so many different credits and exemptions from income tax and PAYE that it was it, there was lots of nooks and crevices and crannies and it was a very unequal system whereas USC just came along and it just filled in all the cracks in the system because it was like water that would find every orifice it would get in uh, somebody else says only complicated for some middle class pay an average of 4,000 euro a year in USC they want that abolished rather than getting a capricious measly 1k tax cut instead uh, says that texter which is fair enough um, someone else says of course everyone would love not to have USC but where's that money going to come from 
More people paying nothing and the same number, same ever decreasing number getting hammered again and again and again. People forget the part of the USC was replacing uh, other levies that were already there. It's not all a brand new temporary tax that you can simply scrap, which kind of makes the case really, doesn't all that it'd be a very difficult thing to just kind of unwire out of the system because so much of the system has now grown to, to work around it. Oh, look, absolutely. I mean, I think the reality is that we're not going to see an unwinding of, of the USC. I mean, when, when you know, it's bringing in billions every year. So, I mean, what government in their right mind is going to unwind it on something that, you know, a thousand euro tax credit or tax uh, cut for people yeah. is certainly going to be much more manageable from, from any government's point of view. Um, one interesting question that's asked in that Sindo poll uh, by Ireland thinks, um, how should we pay for the increasing number of people who will be of pensionable age in the coming years? And the most popular answer is, Introduce favourable tax bans, uh, tax rates and bans for those of pensionable age to encourage them to stay working. So mo- most people think that the solution to a pensions crisis is to stop pensioners from being pensioners. <laughs> just keep working all together. Just keep working all, yeah. uh, all the way along. Um, you know, there are, that's a very, very complex area that ageing society, whether that's, the, whether that's the solution or not. But yeah. um, uh, increasing the working age is an obvious way to do it, I guess. But again, I've always felt that that somehow, to my eyes, um, is not aimed at, at, at working working class people as well. In menial jobs, 65 was set as a, as a retirement age because yeah. a lot of people in hard work and labour jobs yeah. are physically worn out by the time yeah. they're 65. Then you're going to get into... Um, not only ageism, but classism when you start when you start trying to get people to pay to work longer, yeah. to pay for their own pensions. Uh, one of the final question from that Cinder thing before I go to a break. Uh, in a forced choice, which of the following would be your preferred government? Uh, do you want a the, the present coalition retained, or would you like a Sinn Fein led government excluding Finnegan and Fianna Fáil? Forty um, percent would like to have the current government if that was their choice. 38% say they would like a Sinn Féin-led government excluding Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil. That is down four points from last time around. So the existing coalition marginally more popular than a Sinn Féin-led alternative. Uh, going to take a break. After the break, we're going to be coming back with David O'Leary, the general manager of the Women's Mini Marathon. About how does a, first of all, among many questions, how does a bloke end up running the Women's Mini Marathon? Back after this. On the record with Gavin Riley, Sunday morning at 11. Brought to you by PwC, a dedicated private business team built around you. It all adds up to the new equation on News Talk. Gavin Riley with you this very sunny, sunny bank holiday Sunday morning uh, here on News Talk. Hope you are well and hope it is equally sunny uh, around the country. One place to tell you what, that it is very sunny is right here in Dublin city centre. And that means that there's going to be a lot of bottled water needed for the participants in this year's VHI Women's Mini Marathon, which is uh, celebrating its 41st uh, incarnation on the streets of the capital. And we're joined by the race manager, uh, David O'Leary. Uh, David, thanks for joining us. I know you're a, you're a busy man because it's all getting underway sooner rather than later. So won't keep you too long. Um, how is there everything shaping up and how are you looking as regards enrolment today? Well, it's absolutely fantastic for us today, Gavin, and thanks a million for having us on the show. We will have twenty more than 20,000 women taking part today in what is the world's largest uh, female mass participation road race. Um, and it's been taking place in Dublin city centre for four, this is our 41st anniversary. Mm. So um, over a million women have participated over those years and raised almost a quarter of a billion euros for their uh, chosen charities and causes so yeah great day looking forward to it very excited a uh, very big operation to try and pull together you must be reliant on a fair few volunteer bodies to keep the show on the road 
Oh, listen, that's that's such a a, a good question. You know, we um, have a team uh, that works year round preparing for each year's event. In fact, I've already started planning next year's event two months ago. Um, but where we're at at the moment is that we will have nearly a thousand people helping us to deliver the race today, and that's a mixture of hundreds and hundreds of volunteers from different organisations, in particular the athletics community, but indeed many others too. Um, it's the largest female-only event of its kind in the world. I mean, that's remarkable given that the, the way in which women's participation in public events and indeed in, in athletics and every sort of branch of sports has risen, that, that this race in the, in the centre of Dublin today will be the biggest of its kind anywhere in the world. Yeah, this is something as a country we should be very proud of. I think of it as a cultural treasure that we have here, something that we should be proud of because we started this going, as I said, 41 years ago. It was an insight from a group of folks and they really um, put Ireland on the map with it. It's, um, yeah, it's a fantastic event. And for I, I'd love to know what the secret sauce is. You'd think I would do being the general manager. But no, I mean, for me, it's, it's just a great event. Women love it and um, have always enjoyed a fantastic day. And I, by the way, I should say it's interesting to hear you talking about water. We switched away from plastic bottles there about 15 years ago. Oh. And this year we will have most of the water will be served from bulk containers into either uh, compostable cups or recyclable cups. So we're doing our bit for the planet too. <laughs> oh, fair play, it's a good effort. Um, does the route actually, does it still go by Donnybrook Fire Station? Because I know there was a time that some of the hydration yeah. used to involve topless members of the Dublin Fire Brigade <laughs> uh, with their hoses out. Is that yeah, still as much for feature as ever? Well, I'm hoping it is. It's something that's kind of unofficial and we, we don't plan it, but I know that the folks there in the fire brigade will always help out. And yeah, you're right, it'll, it'll go out. I hope they have their hoses, fire hoses out today and that uh, they're, they're, the, the ladies get the benefit of that service. And yeah, no, you're right, it does. We start uh, shortly at 12.30 today, an hour and a half earlier than normal. And we go out past Donnybrook Fire Station out to UCD, and then we turn back in uh, down by RTE and St. Vincent Hospital and then home by Marion Road. So, yeah, it's um, it's all kicking off very soon. <laughs> uh, indeed, which is, why, which is why I won't keep you too long after the, my, my no final problem. question, which is, do, yeah. do you sometimes wonder, I mean, and not, not to, to disparage it or anything, and like, yeah. if it's the biggest event of its kind anywhere in the world, um, yeah. that sometimes are, are there questions that are raised about whether it's still appropriate in what we might call this day and age to have a, a single gender race? Because we had one texter who's already in yeah. touch, uh, a female runner, who says that if there was a Men, a men's only race uh, there will yeah. be uproar and rightly so so do, do you think mm. that sometimes it's hard to make the case for having a women's only event ah yeah listen i mean it, that's an argument that comes and goes you know um i've been involved with the event myself for for many many years and some years it's uh, it's it's an issue and for other years it's not uh, listen i think um it was it was an event that was established very much in and of its time when women were excluded from uh, mass participation road races and very famously so and so we established the race to really empower women and you know it's kicked on from there so no this is a day for women and it will remain so <laughs> Very good well listen I know you're a very busy man because you've got a lot going on and you are the, at least in official terms you are the man who runs the women's mini marathon so I'll let you get back to it uh, David O'Leary thank you very much for your time this morning really good to chat to you and the best of luck to you and the 20,000 women uh, taking part in the women's mini marathon on the streets of Dublin today that's David O'Leary the general manager of the women's mini marathon not being forgotten by the way good luck to everybody who's participating or indeed at this point probably has participated uh, in the Cork City Marathon which is also a fixture of the June Bank Holiday Weekend lots of people down there on Lee's side uh, enjoying the fine weather and I'm sure they're all uh, doing their best to stay hydrated on the sort of day that it is too uh, 11.29 on On The Record uh, Gavin Riley, as I said with you until 1 o'clock this Bank Holiday Sunday uh, on News Talk still join the studio to go through the papers by John Lee and Don Lee um, there's a lot written about the airport 
uh, which of course is, is everyone's favourite talking point when it comes to June Bank Holiday Weekend because it sort of feels done like it's the, the, the official start of summertime now and everyone's sort of wondering right secondary schools are finished we're all going to be looking at our holidays sooner rather than later uh, and an awful lot written including on the front page of the business post today about calls for there to be a third terminal and immediately I'm sort of wondering well Terminal 2 never seems like it's all that rampantly full. Do we do we need to already be thinking about a third one? Yeah, I, I, I think it's a bit of silly season, isn't it? And these things come up every so often um, in relation to, to this, this proposed third terminal. I don't know where the capacity is going to come from, to be quite <coughs> honest. Um, you know, I, as you say, Terminal 2 never really does seem, and I, I've used Terminal 2 a lot myself. Yeah. Now, part of what makes it pleasant is that be, it never seems to be rammed. That's yeah, great. which is yeah. great, which is great. Uh, and, and Terminal 1 is actually creaking at the seams. But uh, yeah, I, I, I really would struggle to see what the justification is. I think if they can get the security sorted out at the airport and the parking sorted out, that would be a big step forward. Mm. Of course, there's so much discussion this week, John, about uh, carbon emissions and the like as well, that you sort of wonder, whether it would be, be appropriately future-proofing the country. This is something we'll put to Graham McQueen later. But um, are we appropriately future-proofing the country if you start thinking about building a, a third terminal when you're only within 12 or 13 years after opening the second one? Well, the, the great problem of the environmental inge- agenda and green agenda is that um, there's no holistic approach to it. You know, there's... So? there's Well, there's talk here, for instance, that we, we won't make our... Um, and this is going off piste here, Gavin, when it comes to the airport. Say, oh, but, no, go on. Uh, I was on a panel with your colleague Kieran Cuddihy during the weekend. Say you're discussing cutting the national herd in Ireland to uh, reduce our uh, output of animal products while the demand internationally for animal products is, will, is, ex- is expected to double by 2050. No one is going to stop eating chicken. They're not going to stop eating beef. They're not going to stop con- consuming milk. It's going to double because much as we're told the world is falling apart, poverty levels are actually decreasing worldwide. Therefore, you close down the national herd or cull the national herd here, say, or reduce it. Yeah, cull, where, cull, where does cull, that production go? Cull is a sensitive word, so let's just say that you wind it down or you allow a certain amount of natural wastage. Natural yeah, yeah, wastage, I think is the phrase they yeah. use. Yeah, but they, they reduce it. All that production then goes to Brazil and Argentina, which it has to go somewhere, where their production methods are nowhere comparable to the production, grass-based production we have of beef products and, and, and dairy products. So does, it, does that mean that we, we should be negotiating some sort of climate-free pass for ourselves? Where we go, well, if we're a food exporter and we're feeding a lot of the world, we should be allowed to incur more emissions in doing so. I do, we occur a certain amount of emissions now, but that's what I say when it comes to it comes to cutting emissions and green emissions. It's all the one atmosphere. It's all they're all the one. We're, we all share the same oceans. Mm. So you, you know there, there isn't a holistic approach. So while we're being told here by the same government that we we may need to increase capacity at at Dublin Airport DAA, for instance, is is a government body. There's no train line to the airport. So you're talking six thousand parking spots. And I, like, I, I, it, even the discussion that there will be 6,000 parking places at a well, small airport that's mm. almost a city centre airport and there's no train line to it. Mm. You know, I'm living well, out that way all my life. I'm from there. There is no train line to, to Swords. There is no train line to the airport. There is a train line that goes to Malahide where I'm from that ultimately goes about, I'd say, now this is a, this is a, this is a, a broad spec, I think it goes three miles away from the airport and that we haven't been able to build a spur from there. To there. Yeah. What all, whatever all those capacity issues are. So so there you have, in, in the airport, in a nutshell, a complete lack of a holistic 
consideration of all environmental concerns. Yeah, well, I mean, you, you did you did surmise earlier on. You're not really sure what the Greens would want to do with taxes. I think what the Greens would like to do with taxes is to build capital projects like Absolutely. that, so that's that you don't need. To, if you need to go to an airport, they might not like you taking a flight. But if you need to get to there, at least you'd be taking public transport rather. Absolutely, than and, and if if that's what they declared they want to do, and they have said that that that's great. Mm. Um, their other their other their other um, policies aren't going down too well in rural Ireland, and that's that's another day's discussion. But when it comes to the airport, for instance, there has been no homogenous, holistic look at Dublin Airport for and all the problems that are that are there, and there are pretty simple solutions that are infrastructural to me. Well, I'd say rather been, than building in two hundred acres well, now to expand an airport that's not fit for purposes. But isn't as that a speak. function of this government? There is no holistic view for anything. Everything is just you know a crisis, and everything is reactionary, and everything is a band aid. And so there is not getting out in front of anything. You don't not think. getting out in front of anything. You know whether it's healthcare or education or housing. You know there is no joined up thinking. There is no looking further down the road. There is no feels that the country's in free fall at times and there's no actual policy or strategy and this is just another example of it. Uh, Aidan by the way says you're completely right about a train to the airport and someone else says that a third terminal would be great for the carbon footprint. Um, I, I kind of find it weird Don, I, and I don't mean to, to jump or to sensationalise it more than it already is but like, isn't it weird that the closure of a privately owned car park at the airport suddenly has ground the country almost to a halt because so many people are finding it very difficult to get to the airport. And indeed, I heard a taxi driver speaking to Andrea Gilligan on Lunchtime Live this week complaining that it's almost now very difficult to do a taxi run to the airport because you've got so many other private cars lined Absolutely up at the drop off. Absolutely lined point. up, yeah. Yeah, abs- and we were the only country that I know of where there isn't, a, you know, an, an ex- a really good public transport service into our main airport. You mm. know, any other city in Europe, any, most other cities in the world have good networks. You know, you go to to Bordeaux, you go to Paris, you go to New York, to all of those things. There are really good infrastructures for getting people out of the airport. Uh, can you ask why better use of the regional airports doesn't seem to be actively worked on, says Mim in Cork, particularly as people who have Shannon and Cork airports still have to travel to Dublin for many flights. Uh, is it impossible to think that perhaps people from Leinster would have to travel in the opposite direction once in a while, especially given the parking crisis? Thank you. Is, is there a bit of a point there that if we now you can't change routes at the push of a button, these are sort of things that need to be flagged well in advance, but that in hindsight, instead of routing through many flights through Dublin, that if you lived in Kildare, maybe even like Leash and Offaly, Kilkenny, you'd be much happier to go to Shannon Airport than you would to Dublin and pay through the nose for parking if you could get the same flight from Shannon and everything's so much quieter there. Absolutely. I mean, I don't know the answer to why we have airports in Knock, Shannon, Cork that are, that are under underutilised. Mm. You know, is it part, and it's a rhetorical question, I guess, is it part of this this ex- expanding conurbation that we have as Dublin and all attempts to stop that mm. have fa- have failed uh, we're constantly seeing social media posts just went through Shannon Airport in 10 minutes mm. and you're, you're raging that you perhaps wouldn't take that trip down the down the road yourself. But all of it comes back and the, the papers today are loaded with it and and so many of our problems come down to our our flaws in infrastructure yeah. building. Uh, you know um, the geography better than I do so maybe, maybe this would solve the airport issue because I'm not as familiar with it. Someone wants to know why can't they just build a rail link between Clochran, Kinsley and Port Marnock? A uh, short run effectively utilising existing track new build would just be across agricultural land seems like a no-brainer to that person. Would that, does that, would that include the airport in that kind of loop? Yeah. I don't, I don't everyone's gotten a bit hung up on the metro um, which isn't due till 2024 2034 so let's make that 2040 
Um, I remember having a discussion with a guy in the what's that overarching sweeping body they have now? It's a TU. It was the Rail Procurement Agency. Oh, yeah, and the Transport road. Infrastructure Ireland is that the one? That's that's yeah. the one. A, a, a smart guy in there said to me, "Well, you know, if you're trying to say to people, maybe you should have eight Lewises rather than one Metro. You could build a Lewis in two or three years. There are lines already taken aside. There is certainly a Lewis line taken aside for Dublin Airport if it goes yeah. up through the middle of Ballymun." But you know it's not uh, sexy and and fun and all That's, bells and whistles. So, so for the price of, of delivering one metro, that you could you could deliver eight Lewis lines, and then of course then to, to bring this outside of Dublin, it would sort out a lot of other public transport issues in a lot of other cities. If instead of building one metro in Dublin, you could put five more Lewises, but stick one in Galway and Cork and everywhere else as well for the same money. That's what he was saying then, oh. and. Uh, Okay. There you go. There's our transport solution solved there at 11.37 on a bank call this Sunday. Preach, everyone. Uh, interesting text from Anne-Marie who says, we must tread carefully uh, before taking radical steps to improve Ireland's sustainability, especially where such steps diminish our self-sufficiency in food. Cutting our herd and then importing the replacement food from Brazil or other far-flung countries makes us food dependent and it increases the risk of climate change on a global level because of the need for air cargo, uh, she says. We need to look at the science behind this because this is a global issue and if Ireland does everything on the list, we'll still be destroyed unless China and the USA take action. I'm going to move on and, and this is a, a tangent, um, Don, but isn't there a point that it's always going to be very difficult to convince a country like Ireland to take the sort of radical sort of steps that we need to get to 50% cut by 2030 unless people think that China and the USA and even countries like India are going to follow suit. And if we don't see the evidence from them, then what are we going to do? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And I, I experienced this firsthand. I spent most of last summer in the, in the US traveling around um, different areas and mm. it, it's just How? incredible. How did you do it? How did I do it? Yeah. I did a lot of it on train. Uh, did yeah. the coast starlight from Seattle down the west coast of America yeah. uh, with my kids, which was a great experience. Oh, wow. But yeah. it was far, more ex- far, far more expensive, like three times the price to take a rail ticket than it was to actually fly. Yeah. Flights were like 15, 20 euro between the cities. Yeah. If, if people have never been on a domestic flight inside the US, it's basically getting on a bus. It's yeah. incredible, yeah. And, and, you know, everywhere you go, there's there's no recycling facilities. There's no bins for sorting things. Everything is disposable. You know, the amount of fuel that cars are using, people are using cars to go on short runs. And then, you know, even mm. the way that the that people live, they, you know, they're miles and miles. We were staying with family in Vancouver and it was like literally, you know, it was a 15 minute drive to go and get a newspaper or a cup of coffee. You know, there's, there's nothing within wow. walking distance. Yeah. It's, it's just the, the whole setup. But it was absolutely incredible to see. But is it good enough though for us to go, well, if they're not going to bother them, why should we? No, it's not. I mean, there's personal accountability for every single one of us. But I, I think, you know, in this country, certainly we talk about it. We recognise the importance of it, but there seems to be a real apathy towards it. I think the only thing that I've seen of, of significance over the last year is the number of people now buying EVs and investing in those in, in terms of personal choice, um, but very little in other respects. Um, speaking on the, the grand theme of capital projects and why we don't seem to be brilliant at them, um, a certain person called John Lee, he's a piece on today's page 29 of today's Mail on Sunday. Uh, we're going to channel, <laughs> channeling a phrase, and I know it's a, it's a well-worn line that you, you don't write the headlines, but the headline over John Lee's column. Well, I, better write, I better read it. <laughs> figure, figure out what he said. I sometimes well, do read, well, write them. The, the, headline, <laughs> the headline says, uh, Robert Watt keeping the bill for the Children's Hospital a secret is not illegal, 
but it is unwise. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's news to John Lee that that was the headline over his piece, that it was uh, unwise but not illegal. But you're making the case that um, it is unwise of Robert Watt, who apparently seems to know what the final bill of the Children's Hospital will be, to keep it to himself and not share it with the PAC or anyone else. That must have been in collective heads. That I, 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 I hate to talk about the bubble, but um, we were at a quiz, a number of us from the... Uh, Political lobby. Gavin Indeed was there. Yes, a lot of politicians and one. It of will the best. not surprise people to learn that I was the guy with the spreadsheet, keeping yes. score of everything. That, got, that was my role. Yeah, you were overseeing all the, all the messing with phones and down the down in the room. But mm. we, we, it was well done. But um, one of the teams is called um, Wise. Sorry, unwise but not illegal. Yeah. Is that it? And another team was called the Wise but not illegal, <laughs> which was a yeah. Uh, I, you know, like we, we we have elsewhere in the papers today as well, discussion of public inquiries and their and their lack of um, support from certain judges who have been involved in them of, of recent of the, of the actual structure of them. Mm. Uh, I discuss in my, in my piece here, say the reluctance of some people like Robert Watt, and he's he's he is a he's a high profile um, uh, public servant, so he's just a, a name we use to illustrate. Um, this tendency may be across some parts of the public service with, who have a reluctance to go into Oireachtas committees. Yeah. And when they go in there, there isn't a huge amount of, I would say, um, a deference shown to TDs um, who are questioning whether they should be deferential or not. It's another yeah, one. But like but to go in, you should. Now, if a public servant, a highly paid public servant, seems reluctant to go into a public um, a, a committee and to discuss... Our spent the spending of our taxpayers' money. Why should anybody else go in? Well, is there uh, though? Is the flip side of that argument though not that the state, any arm of the state, or anyone who, who reckons they've got a good guesstimate for what the children's hospital is going to cost, that they can't say it out loud because then that settles the debate? Because part of what the reason why we don't know what the cost <coughs> is is because there's so many extra claims that have gone in from the builder that are still being adjudicated on. And if you just conceded now, oh yeah, instead of it being one point four billion, it'll be two. That means you've already effectively conceded that you're going to pay six hundred million more. Well, I I think there's there's another side to that then as well. That if you're not cons- telling us any cost, now they did in January 2019 tell it, tell us it had gone to 1.7 billion, so that we, that was okay in 2019. Mm. Your your mind then, as any any human being would would be when we see the unknown, we become fearful of it. And the unknown to me would indicate that the reason they're not, and this is my personal view, maybe as a as as a person who believes in ghosts and all the goblins and everything else, is that there's a there's a horrible secret there they're trying to keep from us. But there are very there are very um, there are very time worn obvious reasons why one reveals um, uh, the cost of a major infrastructural project. The HSC themselves said this week they're finding it difficult to plan their own capital budgets because they don't know what what money is going into this thing. And also, I hate I hate to say this, but if a project, no matter how um, uh, um, altruistic it is and how needed it is, is spiralling completely out of control, whether it's a children's hosp- hospital or it's the building of a tunnel, that can't be allowed. And if there are ways of cutting the costs, no matter what contracts have been signed mm. into, be it design costs, be it whatever, then they, that might have to have to be done. Yeah. But as I say, there is a fear now that this project, which was... I hasten to, I, you know, I must I must point out, mm. was originally scheduled not so long ago as costing four hundred and fifty million. Is now yeah. approaching two billion, mm. according to the man who said he hasn't. The chairman of the PAC hasn't got the the data enough yeah. 
to make an educated guess has made a guess it's going to cost uh, over 2 billion and, that's and, extraordinary inflation and do you, do you remember not alone was it only going to originally cost 450 million but that when we sold the lotto license which was something that we effectively had up until then for free that half of that money was going to go towards the funding of the children's hospital so it was actually going to cost the taxpayer very little because we yeah. were basically just get, getting a lot of income from the sale of something which was uh, free otherwise um, before I go to a breakdown your, your thoughts on the children's hospital or the, the wisdom of keeping the price of it secret yeah, well, look, I suppose my thoughts on the on Children's Hospital generally are that, it, it yes, there's a cost and there's an accountability piece, but there's also a, a cost to the families who are waiting to access services in in that oh, hospital yeah. by mm. the delay. Of course. Um, you know, in, in a situation where children are already on very, very long waiting lists for mm. services. So it's just another dimension to it. Uh, one texter says, no one will know the bill until the final accounts are agreed, so John is wrong. Okay, <laughs> I'm I'm open to being wrong. Okay, right. Well, it's good to you to be so. But, but I also said no one knows the bill. So well, there you go. Uh, Noble Guardian, who is a, a regular Twitter correspondent, I think works in the health service, uh, says that joined up thinking only ever occurs at European level. The European Commission is revising the rules underpinning the authorization of medicines in Europe. For example, the working documents support the proposals are interested. Uh, very interesting in understanding how the Commission thinks. Um, says that person. On the record with Gavin Riley, Sunday morning at 11. Brought to you by PwC, a dedicated private business team built around you. It all adds up to the new equation on News Talk. There's an interesting piece on page 15 of the Irish Daily Mail. Uh, a study suggests that life is easier if we just let men take control of the barbecue. Now, Don, you, you've confided off air that you're a vegan, so maybe barbecues wouldn't be your, your preferred choice of of astronomy which is totally fair but John I for the life of me I cannot think of any barbecue I've ever been at where it wasn't a man that was ultimately taking control of things trying to be all Heston Blumenthal getting everything done properly well I think we've all said that this morning just as we, as we read the piece I, I, I and please text in if you've been at a barbecue where you've seen a woman in charge of the barbecue it's just what the piece doesn't have then is it's just saying that you know the, the, the polls and studies and everything else shows that um a, a higher proportion of men are inclined to handle the barbecue but yeah. they, what they don't have is the psychological reasoning behind that <laughs> so it's then left to all of us to yeah. speculate on what that would be I what is it I, you know my abiding memory of a, a barbecue is always that Tony Soprano stood at the barbecue and Carmela did other things and if that show would have been very very strange if Carmela had taken over a Tony Soprano's barbecue so obviously there are all kind of psychological things at play that uh Okay. I'm not and free I'm, to I'm, I'm express. A, I'm not a fan of barbecue food, I have to say. And I think it, it's uh, it's been proven a lot of it's carcinogenic. So, yeah. you know, we would use our air fryer, which is not nearly as exciting to put out in the back garden and stand around <laughs> while we're, no. we're cooking food in the air fryer. But uh, little, little uh, gives middle class people more joy than talking about the merits of their air fryer. But I'm going to try and just put a lid in it because we, we do only have a couple of minutes left. Um, by the way, if you have some insight into the male psyche and you can try and suggest why it is that men are so insistent on running the barbecue, do let us know. 87 Or the female psyche that allows them. That's, a, that's well, an important too, yeah, part well, too. Well, I think you so find that most things in life are easier if you let a man uh, take that's, charge. That's probably from, it. Just be like, yeah. listen, right, you, you yeah. incinerate your own food and then don't come to me Absolutely. when you need some salad. This needs uh, a whole other podcast, I think. Uh, page four of the Mail on Sunday, Dawn, has an interesting piece about some stats about school attendance post-COVID. And the headline uh, puts it pretty bluntly, I think. Uh, why did 200,000 pupils go missing post-COVID? Because what the piece suggests is that 200,000 school children failed to return to classrooms and went missing for more than a month when schools finally reopened after the pandemic. 
Yeah, and a great piece, really interesting piece here by Valerie Hanley um, in in the paper today. Um, and it's you know I think the question is is why and there seems to be I think in the department or in certainly in Tusla some <coughs> some mystery about this. And you know the, the direct quote here from the piece is that. Uh, Tuzla is unable to shed light on the biggest single factor for why the children went missing, merely saying it was for unexplained reasons. Uh, and I would well, of course say it's to unexplained you, because they don't appear to have investigated they don't, why. They really don't. But I mean, I think the dogs on the streets would tell you it's because we have, you know, we have an epidemic here at the moment of mental health issues in our children and young people. And that's really impacting. Do you think that's what it would school. be? Because my, my, my gut instinct would be that if people weren't going back to school, it was because either the children themselves or the parents in the household were so concerned about schools being a vector of transmission, although the stats said otherwise, um, that they were reluctant to send their kids out to any kind of mass setting where they could bring the virus back back home where it could cause serious problems to mammy or daddy or granny or granddad or somebody else in the household who was vulnerable. Yeah, I, I don't know. I can tell you, I was delighted to get my kids back to school after COVID and uh, I would have sent them back as sooner if I could. Mm. But yeah, no, I, I don't think so. I mean, I think definitely there are children that are really struggling, children and young adults that are really, really struggling with the school environment post-COVID. Um, and I see again, you know, Norma Foley announced earlier this week that they're they're trialling or running a pilot programme where counsellors are going to be in schools to help young adults and young children with mental health issues. Um, I think it's it's a great initiative if it, if it comes off. And I hope I'm, I'm back in the future, you know, eating humble pie and saying I'm wrong. But, um, you know, I suppose my suspicion about it really is that there aren't the counsellors, there aren't the people there to give the support to those children. Yeah, uh, it's, it's extremely difficult. I mean, if we look at, at the situation with CAMS, and people's experience of CAMS, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's if you're trying to, if you're in a fortunate position where you can put your child onto a, onto a private waiting list for counselling or support, um, you know, you could be waiting anything for a year, 18 months, two years to, to see somebody even privately. Uh, if you're wondering, by the way, where that headline came from in that Mail on Sunday, uh, the figures that have been uh, provided by Tusla for 2021 show that 140,840 primary pupils, um, which I'd imagine must be about a quarter, nearly a third of the entire primary school enrolment uh, in the country, uh, were marked as being absent for classes for periods of 20 days or more. Uh, and 53,000 secondary pupils uh, were marked as being absent uh, for more than 20 days uh, in the school year of 2021, which is pretty remarkable that does coincide with the reopening after COVID. Uh, we've got about 90 seconds left, uh, John. So I'm going to do something which are two words that I've never uttered in my four and a half years on this programme up till now. Jeremy Clarkson. Uh, and, and, you're not, and you're not uttering the words that I said at the start that please don't ask me about Jeremy <laughs> Clarkson I kind of said it you as a joke it out. you said it was interesting just on, I'm 60 that person seconds. you may see every once in a while laughing out loud in, um, in, in, in coffee shops while they read papers it's a really really small group of people now but um, if you want an alternative view of the whole Philip Schofield thing and a serious point made in it, there are some very funny lines that you know TV hosts are now like private pile in full metal jackets where their footlockers are examined daily see if there's a donut in there. He makes the serious point that um, Mr. Schofield may have been um, uh, targeted by bosses in, 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 um, in ITV because he was judged somewhat differently because he was a gay man rather than a, a heterosexual man and some of his relationships were um, were deemed or, or looked at in a different way than, than a heterosexual person would be that is his contention yeah. um, Jeremy Clarkson's and it is I think they may be they may be friendly the two of them as well so he's supporting them it's, 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 a, it's a small group of people yeah. he would also say 
that he felt that probably Schofield was in big, big trouble after the Q gate, where himself and his colleague Holly um, yes. Willoughby were were absolutely lacerated for skipping the queue at the mm. Queen's funeral. Allegedly. Uh, yeah, not much uh, pro Schofield content, but if you do want to find that, that's inside the back cover of the Sunday it's, Times. It's a, it's a good read. Yeah. It's funny too. Uh, Noble Guardian gets back in touch to say that uh, my wife runs the barbecue, always. Uh, that Well, I think that's someone who I think as a, I think I've picked up before works in the health service and therefore has a fair idea of what not to put in their body and any meat that's cooked solely by a man probably maybe not the best thing uh, for your body. As you said, Don, carcinogenic a lot of the time, so maybe best to be avoided uh, if you can manage that at all. Uh, we're completely out of time. A huge thanks to John Lee, executive editor of the Daily Mail Group, and to Don Lean, who's the CEO of Lean and Power and a former director of people and resources with Chartered Accountants Ireland. On the record with Gavin Riley, Sunday morning at 11. Brought to you by PwC, a dedicated private business team built around you. It all adds up to the new equation on News Talk.